0: Hi friends, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. My name is Bethany Lee and this is episode number 16. Our guest today is an FEI vet who knows everything about everything when it comes to horse care. He totally has the horse's care in mind with his job, no matter what area of the industry he's working in. And we kind of go into some touchy topics, so if you're interested, here's our guest, Mike Tomlinson. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Of course. So you are, you're currently in California for work, correct?
1: I live in California, but I just completed a CSI a three-star in Del Mar uh,
0: Sunday. Okay. Very cool. So as an FEI vet, what are, what are some of the biggest competitions that you have been involved in?
1: I've been in many of them in many different capacities as team vet, as uh, an official, as a judge, steward, PD, and in this call, you're mainly interested in as a veterinary delegate and probably the highest title at the biggest one that I've had was that I was the president of the Veterinary Commission won at the World Equestrian Games in Tryon last September.
0: Wow. Tell me a little bit about the World Equestrian Games at Tryon. What what was that like? Well,
1: I'm sure you know we're supposed to be politically correct. It was a uh, uh, very challenging competition. Mm -hmm. The actual competition was very... Fair and a good test of the competitors. So, from a competition standpoint, it was very good.
0: Awesome. So, as an FEI vet, and you were just mentioning how you have been involved with lots of different roles, what specifically makes a vet an FEI vet versus another type of practicing vet?
1: (laughs) Well, the title. Fei veterinary delegate is the hat that you wear when you are appointed to that role. Okay. Uh, you can still be a practicing veterinarian. You can be a team vet one weekend. You can be a competitor the next. You can be a athlete's private veterinarian the next. You can be a national federation vet. You can, you know, uh, there are many, many different roles. That is just one of them, and. None is one that you should always do. Veterinarians should not get such that they can only do one thing.
0: Okay, so would you consider yourself a freelancer? I mean, are, do do people co- reach out to you asking you to do you know X Y Z roles?
1: It's kind of like any other vet. Your clients call you up and say, "I'd like you to." Uh, do surgery on my horse. In this case, they call up and say, I'd like you to be the official for this event. Okay. Or sometimes FEI appoints you, sometimes the organizing committees appoint you. Okay. But that is how you become an FEI vet for an event.
0: Okay. And what's your favorite area of being a vet? Your favorite avenue of practice that people ask you to come on and do?
1: My favorite is being the team veterinarian for the vaulters. I enjoy helping them uh, make sure that the horses are in their best possible capability of performing to the best of their abilities. The challenges of that combine all of the skills that I have, including the not just the medicine, surgery, physiology, but also the regulatory part from being an FEI veterinary delegate.
0: Cool. So out of all the different horse sports and disciplines that you are a vet for, what's your perspective as a vet between these disciplines?
1: Well, it'd be very similar to asking an auto mechanic, what's the difference between stock car racing, Formula One racing, and drag racing?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> the way horses are used the strengths that are used in various disciplines things are completely different at the highest level of the sports sure i uh used to ride uh, i mean when i was very young i'd ride one horse and uh, she and i would go do barrel racing and then we'd do dressage and then we'd jump a little wow. it, you know she had to do everything mm-hmm. uh, but at the highest level, you have to specialize. Uh, jumping, obviously, you need one that can jump. Once jump, tucks well, has good elasticity, etc. For dressage, you need a weightlifter that is capable of sustaining themselves throughout many of the various motions. For vaulting, you need one who is consistent, has a great cadence, has a nice, strong back, for reining, you know, every one of them, there are certain characteristics that really stand out. But the most important characteristic for any high-level horse is the horse's desire to do it and a horse's enjoyment of doing it. If they don't want to do it, you're not going to make them at mm-hmm. this level. You know, when Definitely. you're doing pony club, you can talk your horse into it, <laughs> but at this level, they've got to want to jump over that brick wall.
0: Right. So, so obviously in the various disciplines, um, there is all, there, there's usually a, a jog involved. What, what are vets looking for when, when horses are going out to do the jog? Uh,
1: the jog, as it is colloquially called in the U.S. North America, is known as a trot-up in many okay. British-speaking places. Good to know. Uh, and the official name is the first inspection. Okay. And that is to be done after the first examination. The first examination is to make sure that the horse is healthy, has no communicable diseases, and is easily identified. The first inspection is to determine whether the horse is fit to compete. And the goal of the jogger trot up is not to eliminate horses as some people feel it is mm-hmm. it is to prevent people from bringing horses that are not fit to the competition we don't want to have a horse that is lame or too thin or has open wounds we can't have them at a competition We don't want them even there. We want them back at their own home recuperating, not trying to perform. One thing that in North America we often forget is that this is a performance for the people who are watching. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's called a show. So at a horse show, the horses are the performers. And the performers must uh, be up to a certain standard. And for FEI that standard is that they are pretty darn sound and do not have things which would make the public wonder about them.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you say pretty darn sound. What is the kind of the line as far as, yep, you're sound, you're good to continue on to competition. And hmm, that looks a little questionable. Well, What is that process like?
1: Well, the, the, brass ring that we are striving for is to allow a horse that has normal aches and pains from getting uh, ready. In other words, any athlete at this level uh, has been working very hard to get to that level. Sure. And so, you know, they've got a little bit, Mm -hmm. but we want to be absolutely certain that no horse will have something which would heighten their propensity to injure themselves in a way that would be life-threatening or of career-ending. So if a horse is a little bit off because they just stepped on a stone, and Mm -hmm. we know it's a very temporary thing, that horse probably would pass. But if a horse has a really hot suspensory that's swollen and they're sore to the touch, even if in looking at it from the naked eye, as they trot down back, even if it's not as bad as a sole bruise, we probably would not let the horse with a suspensory injury continue, whereas we would one with a sole bruise. Right. So it's... Not just how it looks, it's how physiologically and medically it affects them.
0: Got it. So what what misconceptions do you feel that riders or, or spectators have about FEI vets or the rules um, that you'd like to clarify? Is there a common issue that comes up at shows?
1: Well, what I would say would be there are still some who think that it's the way it was 15, 20 years ago, where the veterinary delegate was at odds with the riders and just kind of trying to see who they could catch at anything. Yeah, And things have changed quite a bit in that nowadays, the veterinarian should be on the same team as the, as the riders the rules have gotten to the point where you can't even look at them in paper anymore. You have to be able to search them electronically. They're so voluminous and they Mm -hmm. change so frequently in order to get the paperwork, right? You almost have to hire a clerk just to do your paperwork. Yeah. So the veterinarian no longer should be trying to catch. They should be trying to help. Mm -hmm. And as far as when things go wrong with your horse, when they do hurt themselves, the veterinarian wants you to compete. The veterinary delegate wants you to compete, and nowadays is doing their best to enable you to do so. Twenty years ago, they were trying to eliminate people left and right. That just is no longer the case. You still may worry about them and you know, oh, what are they looking at and get all nervous and things like that but. If you're not hurting your horse, if you're trying to do the best for your horse, that is the role of the veterinary delegate. The role of the veterinary delegate is to speak for the horse. Be the one who advocates for the horse at the horse show. And as such, our job is to ensure that the welfare of the horse is paramount, that the fairness of the competition is ensured and the third one which is kind of one that i throw in there is to make sure that everybody has fun at the event so they'll come back and want to do it some more
0: that's that's a good addition i like that <laughs> that's important and i feel like a lot of people uh, forget about that aspect sometimes i don't know if you will want to a- answer this but in your personal opinion. Which discipline do you think cares for their horses the best or has the horse's best interests in mind? It, the,
1: the discipline which does would be difficult to do because there are people in every discipline that are just truly amazing and sure. are fabulous horse people. Uh, we were just discussing this last weekend about – horsemanship and riding ability and how it's changed over the last 20 years. Right. And pretty much so, we're all unanimous that the riding ability and the abilities of the horses has increased amazingly over the last 20 years. But what we all are most worried about is that the horsemanship has declined almost as precipitously. hmm so who cares for the horses better? I would say that uh, in some disciplines, the ones caring for the horses are the grooms. In other disciplines, it's the riders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And really, the ones who actually care for the horses are the most important people to the horses. Right. And consequently, they're the most important people for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah That's a good answer. So let's get into another fun topic that I'm sure you love to talk about. Um, A misconception that I thought of when I asked you the question, besides soundness, I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions on drug use. So, I mean, what drugs do you typically see in a horse's system? How long do they usually stay in a horse's system? I kind of like to get your official stamp on this cuz i feel like there are so many different numbers and figures and things floating around that aren't necessary. Some some may be accurate and some may be off a little bit. So I would kind of lo- like to hear your thoughts on that.
1: What i can tell you is that it used to be pretty simple in that if a drug or medication worked, then you weren't allowed to use it. And if it didn't work, then you really should be using it because it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that made it very simple. What has happened is that the FEI and the USEF have, instead of going to you can't it and just saying you can't use any tranquilizer, period, now they have to list it. And they have a list of almost 20,000 medications that you cannot use. And that does not include metabolites, et cetera. That's just the base list. My suggestion is that anybody who is competing at the FEI level at least once a year goes into their feed room and lists every single thing in there, including fly sprays, including grains, including all supplements, and obviously any medication. Put it all in a list and send it to the USEF laboratory and have them tell you whether it's legal or not, Hmm. because you would be surprised what is what contains illegal substances. Some of the simplest things are illegal and some things that you really think are not legal are legal. Mm -hmm. So the misconceptions are immense I would say that most veterinarians, even practicing equine veterinarians, don't know the entire list. I can tell you, I do not know the entire list. The best way to get the information is to call the lab directly. It's an 800 number. It is 800-633-2472. The mnemonic on that is 800- Med, as in medicine, M-E-D, A-H-S-A, which is the old name for U-S-E-F. Okay. So -AH 800-MED-A-H-S-A or 800-633-2472. Call them up, say, I am going to an FEI event, I want to use this medication, and they will say, you may use that medication up to 72 hours before or up the six days before, or they'll tell you exactly a number, this is when you may use it. And awesome. They are the ultimate authority. Okay. Just say it. Don't believe what I say. Don't believe what your vet says. Only believe what the lab says, because last week it could have been seven days, and this week it's nine days. Five, sure. Eight.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a, what a great resource. Do, are, so are they just a 1-800 number? Do they also have a website?
1: Well, you can go to the USCF website, sure. but things change faster than they keep them on the website. So yeah. it's, they're fabulous people there. They will answer your questions. They're extremely nice. And that's what they do all day long. Mm-hmm. That's their job. Yeah. So they do a great job at it, too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's great to know. Even just uh, calling them about a dosage, too, I feel like would be really beneficial for people to have that number saved in their phone, because uh, I feel like that's something that people are always asking around, uh, you know, how much uh, X, Y, and Z should I give? And it seems like every vet or every trainer has kind of a different opinion. So, yeah, that's, that's an awesome resource. They can,
1: yeah, they can answer about whether it tests or not, but they probably will not give you medical opinion on how okay. much.
0: What would you say is the best resource for that then? Obviously, obviously your vet would be a good start. Yeah. But.
1: I do not recommend Dr. Google. <laughs> uh, that gets you in trouble as often as not. Mm-hmm. It's fine to do that to get some basis, but your veterinarian knows your horse and what you do with it, right, and there are many things that depend on breed and personality and use, in other right. words, if you have a a really chilled pony who wants to jump over something i 'm going to give it a completely different than if you have a totally strung out Arab that you 're trying to do halter with so mm-hmm. Uh, it really depends what you're doing, what the horse's personality is, right. and then lots of the breed characteristics are important too yeah you, know, you don't give um, a warm the same thing you give a thoroughbred. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is for sure, but I mean, as a lot of people, uh, some people may not know, and so having that conversation with your vet is extremely important. And, and I mean, I know uh, USEF has a really great learning center too, where you where you can yeah. learn, definitely much better than Google. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you what do you feel like? Uh, the industry either doesn't know much about or doesn't talk a lot about kind of within your veterinary realm?
1: Well, I would say the biggest issue that I see today, and certainly that may change next month, but right now the biggest industry problem is the change in demographics and living arrangements of people in the United States, what I'm referring to is that people no longer have their horses at home. People tend to have their horses stabled out somewhere else. People tend to have five other activities in addition to horse. It used to be a horse was your life, Mm -hmm. and that is all you did that is, you know, you went there and you, you brushed them, you did everything and, and fed them. And, you know, you knew exactly how much they pooped every day and sure. everything about them. That just isn't the case with people. So what we're seeing is that the ones who do not have the financial resources to compete at the highest level, they're, we've cut out the base of the pyramid, and the number of people competing at the highest level is really shrinking. And to me, that's a very troublesome direction to be heading.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that cuts across virtually all disciplines, uh, whether they're Western or jumping or even halter horses. Everything is being affected in the same way that People are not as close to their horses and it costs a whole lot more to compete now than it used to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those are some great points and and definitely something that I know uh, others are also, uh, I guess it doesn't get talked about a lot and there are, you know, mutual concerns with that as well. So Is there anything that people listening who are current horse owners that anything they can do? I mean, based on, let's say, with with the busy schedules and and maybe coming out to ride not as often as they'd like. What are what are some things or ideas that you might have for them to kind of be a little bit more in tune with with their animal?
1: The you know, it's the same thing as with kids. The most important thing is get off the electronics and go spend time with them. Mm. And if you can just be with your horse, whether it's brushing, cleaning, feeding, or just take him for a graze, uh, a walk, that is how you learn about your horse, and your horse learns about you, and you develop trust and a bond. And then when somebody says, hey, I don't think your horse looks right, you can say, oh, That's perfectly normal. He gets in that mood. It's not a big deal. Or you can go, no, that's not him. We need to call now. Mm -hmm. Uh, A person who knows their horse is a veterinarian's dream. Because for you to tell me when there's a problem before anybody else can see it enables us to prevent it rather than treat it. And so that is... For years, what I've been trying to do is do prevention rather than treatment. And the the better horse people you have as owners, the more likely you can prevent things than have to treat them.
0: Got it. Real quick before we finish, for any type of horse owner what would you suggest that they kind of have as their emergency kit? You know, what, what things should they have on hand when they are uh, owning a horse? Uh,
1: that would be a, a two-hour long.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back on, Mike. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it'll depend on the area. It'll depend on what you're doing. But mm-hmm. basically, uh, it also depends how— how medically how medically uh, educated you are, whether you have a bunch of i v drugs or just a bunch of i m drugs, and whether you have a bunch of bandages or just have somebody else along with you who can you know mm-hmm. and so it's not a here go down to your feed store and buy a a emergency kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to put one together based on your knowledge, your horse, your experience. That's, that's what you do rather than go buy one at the feed store.
0: Right. So it's definitely something to consult with your vet and to put something in place uh, in case of any type of emergency.
1: Oh, uh, obviously, I think your veterinarian would be the best one because they can get you medications your feed store can't. They can dose it out to the correct dose for your horse. They can provide you with bandaging materials that are appropriate for your horse and for your skill level. Uh, you know, some people carry suture kits in their emergency kit. Mm-hmm. So it really depends what level you are and where you're going. If you're just going to be at a horse show, there's always going to be a vet closer on right. call. If you're going to go trail riding 3 hours back in the forest, you need a different kind of a kit.
0: Totally. So. Yep. Well, good to know. We will maybe I'll have you uh yeah, come back on and talk about that a little bit because that's going to have to be for a different day, I think.
1: <laughs> Sounds great.
0: Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and um I'm sure you are about to have a busy year, busy schedule, but I wish you all the best.
1: I truly appreciate that. Yeah, In the upcoming week, I'll be in five different countries doing four different disciplines. So uh, oh my yeah, it's going to be busy.
0: So. Do you, are you liking that? Do you like doing that and all that travel?
1: Oh, yes. My good. kids are in college, so it works out great.
0: Oh, perfect. Well, as long as you love what you're doing, sounds good to me.
1: Thanks so
0: much. Awesome. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. What did you think of today's episode? Head over to anywhere where you listen to the Equestrian Podcast and please rate and review and tell me what you thought. I would love to hear your thoughts because I'm curious and it helps people like you find the Equestrian Podcast. It also allows us to find some amazing guests for you to listen to. So win-win for everyone. Well, that is about all the time we have for today, but make sure you're following us over on Instagram at Equestrian Podcast so that you stay up to date on any news for the podcast. So until next time, I'm Bethany Lee. This is the Equestrian Podcast. Now get out there and enjoy the ride.